Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. My assumption is if you are a believer that you want to live your life bringing praise and glory and honor and fame to God, that you want to bring glory, praise, and honor to the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just on Sunday morning or through grand acts of obedience, but also on the daily, small, even tiny acts of obedience you want to bring in praise. I've been reading a book by Claire DeGraff, and the book is called The 10-Second Rule, Following Jesus Made Simple. And I'm sure you're wondering, what is the 10-second rule? What's this? Do the next thing that you're reasonably certain that Jesus wants you to do, and do it quickly before you change your mind. Do the next thing that you're reasonably certain that Jesus wants you to do and do it quickly before you change your mind. That if you don't act within 10 seconds, you may change your mind and talk yourself out of obedience and give a lot of reasons. I mean, just for for some of you, right? Driving down the road, see a car stalled out there and someone needs help, right? And you feel this impulse to pull over and help them. And then the clock starts, 10, 9, 8. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Nah, you drive on. And in that 10 seconds, you're saying, oh, probably has help coming on the way. Oh, they'll be fine. Or he's probably an ax murderer. And you're like, you're talking yourself out of obedience. For example, I just talked about baptism and I'm, I don't, no show of hands, but I'm wondering, those of you who know you should be baptized, you felt an impulse like, I need to get baptized, right? While you're sitting there, I mentioned it, okay? And then the clock started ticking, and you're like, ah, oh, that lake's pretty cold. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm too old to get baptized. I'll be too embarrassed. Oh, no one's going to know. And, and then you talk yourself out of it. And if you're not careful, you start living your life like this, you're training yourself to be disobedient. Because you know the word of God, and you know the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you throughout the day in a variety of acts of obedience. And, and when you push that off and push that away, you're training yourself to be disobedient. That's why you want to know the word of God. And when the Holy Spirit is convicting you to step out and obey before you talk yourself out of it. And this brings us to that chapter two of Nehemiah, which I'm sure you've read so many times. Where Nehemiah heard about his people and their walls down in Jerusalem. And it's almost as if he had that 10 second window where he could do something. And he started right away praying. And he prayed for four months for the Lord to give him wisdom to know what he's supposed to do. And this morning we see that window he has. It's almost that 10 second window where he has the opportunity to act. 
So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. And I know many times when we jump into books like Nehemiah, we're wondering what in the world, where are we at? And so I'm going to give you this quick overview real quick. It's an Old Testament overview so you don't feel so disoriented. So here is a timeline, briefly. God created the world. Then you have Noah, Abraham. I'm skipping a lot, by the way. Israel goes to Egypt, Exodus out of Egypt, David, after David, the kingdom splits, northern and Judah. Then the northern kingdom's destroyed. Judah exiled to Babylon. Then you have the exodus out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Then the 400 years of biblical silence, then Jesus comes on the scene. We're focusing on that part right there where it says exodus out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And we basically have three returns, so to speak, from Babylon back to Jerusalem. We have a guy named Zerubbabel who led the people back to rebuild the temple. That didn't go over so well at times. And so we had a second return and a priest called Ezra, and he led the kind of the spiritual rebuilding of the people and also the temple. And then the third return will be Nehemiah. He doesn't bring a big group with him, but he feels called to go there to rebuild the walls for the protection of Jerusalem to the glory of God. And and that's where we're at today. Nehemiah, he heard that Jerusalem was in shambles. He gets broken. He prays for four months. And now it is time for him to do something, maybe. Let's see. Nehemiah 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Nehemiah is serving King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is a Jew who's been, well, his people were put in exile to Babylon. And he has this special job of living a posh life in the kingdom with the king, but his job is a cupbearer. And that means that before the king eats or drinks anything, he'll sample it, drink it. It's almost like the king watches him. And if he doesn't drop dead, all's good. How about that for a great life, right? And so that's his job. He's the cupper. He protects the king from what he's eating and drinking. But it's, it's a, many think it's almost like a, a higher up administrative role that is well respected within the palace. But on this day, he is sad in the king's presence. Now, you're not supposed to be sad in the king's presence because people who come into the presence of the king are supposed to bring good news and good news only. In fact, in the presence of the king, you should be happy because you're in the presence of the king. But he comes in and he's sad and the king notices. Look at verse two. So the king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. He's like, oh, I'm busted. (laughs) The king realized that I'm sad. I'm not supposed to be sad in his presence. Now he's scared. And the clock has started. Ten, nine, and on down. The question is asked, why are you sad? He could say, well, I didn't sleep very well last night. Back's been bothering me. I'm not so sure about this job where I could drop dead every day. He can just make stuff up. But what does he do? Look at verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city 
The place of my father's tomb lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. So he lays it out there. My people and their city have been destroyed and it's not been built up. The walls are down. The gates are down. My homeland is a mess. That's why I'm sad. And the king says back to him, then the king said to me, verse four, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Isn't that interesting? He's, he's speaking to the king, and in the midst of that, he prays. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> Tony Evans, a great pastor, he says, he's, he's talking to one king while praying to another king. And he's asking the king, the king of kings, to intervene. He's praying, almost like a praying continually, a quick text message. He's not saying out loud. He's praying to the king of kings as he addresses the king. And he makes this huge ask by saying, I request to go back. I want to go back to my city and rebuild the walls. And so far, so good. Nehemiah, he had this 10-second window. He makes this big ask. And there will be these windows you have in your life. I want to call them like windows of obedience. You have the opportunity to just throw something in there. In a conversation you may be having with someone, you see a window open and you want to obey and, and walk through that door. I have a lot of graduations going on in my family. My, my son Elijah graduated from the University of Colorado in Boulder last week, and this was his announcement. Now, by the way, no walking. They didn't walk across the stage. They had a virtual graduation, okay? And this is what he put up during his virtual graduation for everybody to see. And if you can't read it, let me read you what he says. He said this. It's, it's a small print here. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And then Elijah, my son, says, there is no my truth, only the truth. Now, he's back, th back there today, so I'm glad I brought him with me. But anyway, so, well, you go over there and talk to him later. But, but so some of his classes, he would show up in some of his classes. This is no joke, okay? I mean, he would show up in some of his classes and at the beginning of, of the year, they're like, okay, how do you want to be addressed? You know, he, she, it, they. Make up whatever you want to say. And, and some of his classes were like, if you get a bad grade and it affects your mental health, then you can just change it to whatever you want. So like, that's not how the world works, right? And so basically you just kind of make up your truth, whatever it is. And my son is saying, now look, Jesus is the truth, and there's not this my truth, there is only the truth. And it's like he had a little window, and in that little window, insert Jesus, right? So we have these opportunities to obey that are all over the place. Each day they come to us. We don't anticipate it, and they happen, and it happened for Nehemiah. And he, and he, and he launches out into his needing help. Look at verse 6. Now this is good. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. Uh, stop, 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 stop. The queen sitting behind, is, is that a throwaway line? There's no throwaway lines, by the way, in the Bible. So the answer is no, that's not a throwaway line. The queen sitting beside him. Now, for those of you who like to study and all that stuff, um, study this. 
figure out who this queen is because many scholars think this is Queen Esther. Oh, that's another book. Talk about a 10-second rule right there where, a, where she stepped into obedience to save a people, to save a nation. Maybe this is Esther sitting right beside while Nehemiah is making his request. Very, very interesting. And, and what he wants to know, this king wants to know is, how long is this journey going to take? Because you're my cupbearer. I kind of need you to stay alive. So when are you going to come back? And he just wants to know some details. Now, what happens here is that Nehemiah gives him a definite time, so to speak, and he has his plan all thought out. Look at verse 7. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Ace of the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. I I love Nehemiah, he's so bold. He's already been given permission to go, but he's like, huh, let me just take this a step further. I like some permission letters to get through all the red tape. And in fact, I, I want some stuff. I want you to get Ace of, to give us some timber so we can b- build these, these walls. And I, I just want it to be a clear passageway. So it's interesting. Nehemiah has it all planned out. He has a time of journey, rebuilding, uh, he has permits and authorization and the materials request. And so throughout all this, I think you should notice that Nehemiah is, is praying and planning. He's praying and he has a plan. I, for the last 20-something years, I've, uh, in the past, I've worked with college students. And man, you talk about some zealous people for the Lord. They come up with these crazy dreams of how they're going to serve the Lord. And sometimes when I'm interacting with them, I'm like, tell me your plan. And they're like, I ain't got one. So it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of zeal without a plan, not Nehemiah. This guy, he's praying and, and he's got a plan. And, and the question is, is it going to work? Well, did you see uh, verse 8? And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. This is the same king who before shut down the work in Jerusalem. You know, this is the same king who put a stop to the work before. And at this point, this king is maybe sitting beside Esther, who's influencing him, perhaps. This is a king who's changing his mind, who's not, who's not only going to say, Nehemiah, you go for it, but let me give me some stuff to go for it. And, and it's absolute miracle that the king goes above and beyond. And it just goes to show you that even God can change the heart of a king. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is like channels of water and the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. It'd be like thinking about the politician that you hmm, love to hate, changing completely. There may be some situations in your life, some people in your life who are just making your life miserable. Can you think perhaps God can change them, change their heart? turn them completely around. That's what God can do. Now we continue on, and there's a lot that LeVan already read. He, 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 he heads out. He's arriving in the city with the king's escort, uh, but he's got some 
opposition. Look at verse 10. Jump to verse 10. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone has come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And here's some guys here who may be in charge of uh, some type of authority in the province there. Maybe they're making good buck, <laughs> like making a lot of money. And here comes Nehemiah wanting to build uh, something around the city. They're, they're really disturbed. Now, we're not going to read it, but in verses 11 through 16, you know what he does? He gets on like a, a horse or a donkey or whatever, and he starts traveling around the city at night when no one knows what he's doing. The, Jew, the leaders of the Jews don't know. The officials don't know. But Nehemiah, he's scoping out the walls. He's like, oh, man, look at all these gates burned up. Look at all these walls. They're all down. It is an absolute mess. And he's only been in town for, for three days and in the midst of sneaking out to assess all the damage, he says in verse 12, I want you to notice there in verse 12, let's see if you can see it. Right in the middle it says, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. So God put this in his mind, put this in his heart back in Persia, and now he's finally there, assesses the damage, it's a mess. Now it's finally time to let the people in on the plan. Let's see how this goes. Verse 17. You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Now, I like the way approach that Nehemiah does. He, he starts out by talking about the mess. We are a reproach. God's not getting glory. We are supposed to have the nation streaming to us, but the nations are mocking us. He's just laying out all the problems. And sometimes you got to do that. If you've got some serious problems in a church, you just can't brush over and say, all right, here's the problems. You've got a problem in your marriage, you just can't say, well, we're fine, let's all smile. No, let's deal with that. You've got a problem in your personal life where you're not growing in the Lord. You've got to point out the mess to get some traction to move forward. And the people are like, let's do it. Let's arise and build. But once again, we have some more opposition. Verse 19 and 20. Let's finish it up here. But when Samballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, this is kind of the unholy trinity, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, memorial in Jerusalem." So this unholy trinity, this Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, they're just laying it on. They're trying to discourage and they're trying to mock them to cut them off from building. We're going to see so much more of this opposition in other chapters. But I think the, the takeaway here from verse 20 is what Nehemiah says in the face of the opposition. Look at verse 20. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. That is almost like a, a certainty. The God of heaven will who called his people to himself, established them in this land, 
He will give us success. It was our sin and our foolishness that got us deported and kicked out of the land and exiled, and now we're back, and the God of heaven will give us success because it's his work, it's his kingdom, it's his will. Now, last week we had a missions conference, and we were out there, and we heard a lot of them Missionaries giving their testimonies about the number of babies being saved at the crisis pregnancy center. We talked about the, the, the people being ministered to in jail. And then you heard Charles Wilson talk about his church plant and John talk about his ministry in the inner city of, of New Orleans. And, you, and throughout, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of discouragement. And as I've been interacting with pastors around the country and churches around the country, there is a lot of discouragement right now. That's why we need to know that Jesus Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we need to have that certainty. We give 25% of our budget to missions and even more. Why? Because we have a certainty that God is building his kingdom. We just sent brothers and sisters from this church to learn more about the persecuted church. And in fact, we are trying to send missionaries to parts of the world where people have never heard the gospel before. And you think that's not going to go over well. Well, it might not, but we have a certainty that Jesus is building his church. So we'll put our money, we'll put our prayers, and many of our brothers and sisters will risk their lives for the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is going to build his church. It's that certainty, and I think it's that certainty we can have when we step out in obedience to the will of God. (laughs) Sometimes we can obey, and we go, I'm going to obey, and I know this is going to be disaster, but this is what God wants me to do, and we step out and obey. Now, there's a couple things I just want to say in closing here, and I just want you to get this. I know some of you, when we're talking about rebuilding walls, We're talking about putting gates into place. We're talking about obeying to have a kingdom impact. You're like, uh, I just want to tell you this. I don't have time for that because my walls are down and my gates are burned up and my life is a mess. Did you know that we have one greater than Nehemiah? We have one greater than Nehemiah that we can turn to who can rebuild those walls and gates in our lives. And in fact, we don't have to wait four months like Nehemiah to go before the king. Right here, right now, we can go before the king. And we know for a fact that Jesus Christ, our king, laid down his life so that we can live forever. We know for a fact that our king, Jesus Christ, has given us access immediately to our heavenly father so we can ask for mercy and grace for the walls and the gates the destruction of our lives feel built, built back up. Nehemiah is great. Jesus is greater. And we have a king that we can go to anytime. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. Nehemiah, he's a man of prayer. He's a man of planning. He puts the two together. But he also obeys. You can be praying all you want. You can be planning all you want. But there comes a time where you got to step out there and obey. And he goes back, tries to rally a people who have been inactive, pushes through discouragement and hard times to obey. 
and we talk about this 10-second rule and your week, I want you to keep in mind, as you're getting in the Word this week, as you're going about your day and you're sensing the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and something that you're reasonably certain that Jesus wants you to do, don't talk yourself out of it. Don't make excuses not to obey. Because your decisions to obey not only have an impact on your life, but they can impact the lives of others, even impact the lives of others for years to come. On Friday night, I was at my daughter Jordan's graduation in Hot Springs at the convention center uh, for Fountain Lake. And at the very end, uh, they sang the school song. Now, what was interesting about them singing the school song, you think that's pretty typical, but what seemed to me to be very not typical is the people in the crowd were singing the song. And I'm like, how do you know the words to that song? There's no words on the screen, and you're singing the song. I've never even heard of the song. And they're singing it. Because you know what, what's happened? Their parents went there. And in fact, some of their grandparents went there. So you got students singing the song, the parents singing the song, the grandparents singing the song, and you can see all these generations around. But I want to tell you this. The decisions that the grandparents made in their life had impact on their children. And decisions their children made had impact on their children. It's almost like, almost like this trickle-down effect of obedience. Nehemiah is going for a generational impact with his obedience for those after him. And I just think about you thinking about a generational impact. And I have talked to many of you and you said, you know what? I am beyond those years and I blew it. My brothers and sisters, there is grace. There's grace still to obey. There's grace still to pray. There's grace still to have an impact upon your children and your grandchildren. You can still have this trickle-down effect of obedience. But do not delay, because delayed obedience is simply disobedience. You are alive, there is grace, and there's mercy to start new even today, walking in his forgiveness and obedience, and you can start to see hearts changed. And I want to pray to that end right now. Let's pray. Father, I, I realize as we, we see your word and the destruction of Jerusalem, it was because of your people's sin. And a lot of us in here have our gates down. <laughs> They're burned and the walls have crumbled and it's because of our sin. And a lot of our sin has impacted our kids, and then that trickled down to the grandkids. And Lord, we are asking, as Nehemiah is asking for grace returning to Jerusalem, I just ask that you'd have mercy on our lives, that you would forgive us for the sins we have done and we've committed against our children and our grandchildren, committed against others. And we ask for forgiveness. And we ask for the ability to call it like it is, 
it's a mess, it's a mess. But ask for your intervention, for grace, for mercy to start anew. And Lord, some of us see our kids and our grandkids are so wayward and so far away. But if you can turn the king's heart, you can turn their hearts as well. And I just ask you keep us praying and even planning and obeying all in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.